Welcome to Fiscal One-on-One. This Iowa Legislative Services Agency audio program consists of interviews conducted by the Fiscal Services Division staff. Each brief conversational interview features an expert answering questions concerning a fiscal topic of interest within an Iowa State agency. The following interview was conducted on August 14, 2012. Robin Madison of the Fiscal Services Division interviewed Senator John Kibbe regarding the creation and development of Iowa's community college system in 1965 and the role that the colleges play today, as well as the Senator's thoughts on his legislative service as he prepares to retire from the Iowa General Assembly. I'm Robin Madison, Senior Analyst with the Legislative Services Agency. Today I'm visiting with Senator Jack Kibbe, who's retiring from the Iowa Senate. Between several years in the Iowa House of Representatives and his long tenure in the Senate, he's represented a portion of Northwest Iowa for 28 years. Senator Kibbe was instrumental in the legislation that created the community college system in Iowa, and that's what we'll be discussing today. Thank you for agreeing to the interview, Senator. Sure, that's fine. Um, Let's kind of start with a history. The community colleges sort of replaced or grew out of the old junior college system. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about the junior okay. colleges and why the community colleges okay. came into First being? you talked about 28 years. Was in, I've been in the Senate 28 years, but I was in the House four years. Oh, okay. Uh, that started in 1961, okay. and then I went to the Senate as a result of the 64 Democratic landslide, and uh, that leads up to the issue you want to talk about. And Harold Hughes was governor. At that time, governor still had a two-year term. And, and he got elected in 1962. The biggest issue was on liquor by the drink, but that's beside the point today. Then he ran again in 64. And so the legislature in 1964 had a special session. And the courts ordered a special session to deal with one man, one vote reapportionment. The special legislature was held. That legislature increased the size of the legislature, the House, from 108 to 124, and the size of the Senate from 50 to, I believe, 59. And the court said that they would accept that because that would give the urban areas more representation until the next census, which would have been 1970. So as a result, of the 64 election, keep in mind that we had 29 Democrats in the House out of 108. And as a result of the 64 election, we elected 101 Democrats. Wow, quite a change there. (laughs) Out of 124. So we had a huge Democratic landslide. There's people, they signed an affidavit to put their name on a ballot, and they never done one other thing, but still got elected. In, in the Senate, similar. So that was when I chose to run for the Senate then after being in the House four years. And uh, my district was three counties, which included Emmett County, Palo Alto, my home county, and Pocahontas. Emmett County, Esterville, had a junior college. Emmitsburg had a junior college. And there was 14 other junior colleges. And they were primarily run by K-12 schools. And, of course, they all had to have master degree uh, teachers. And the state aid at that time started out in 1961. It was a dollar and a quarter a day for each day. And you got the state funding at the end of the school year rather than the front of the school year. 
so many of the K-12 schools were having a real tough time maintaining junior colleges. Mason City was the largest one. So then this big landslide happens in 1964, and uh, the first time the Democrats had control of the legislature since the 30s, 30 years. And Bob Fulton was lieutenant governor. Andy Frommel from Dubuque was majority leader. They asked me to chair the education committee in the Senate. And a guy by the name of Joe Cassidy from Davenport was vice chair. He was an educator. So getting back to Governor Hughes in the 64 election, he campaigned on having four state-operated, state-owned Volk Tech schools in the state. Nebraska had one at that time. And of course, then I chaired the education committee and we started working on those legislative recommendations. And my concern started out to save the junior colleges. Uh, of course, his emphasis was on the job training and Volk Tech schools. And after several weeks of testimony and discussion on the education committee, we met four mornings a week at 7.30 in the morning on this issue for six solid weeks before we come with a bill, what at that time was called Merged Area School Bill. And the governor, I met with the governor many times and his staff on my plea for post-secondary junior college, and it was primarily liberal arts education at that time in junior college. There really wasn't any vote tech. At that time, the Department of Public Instruction was the name of our education department in Iowa. Paul Johnson was the superintendent, I think they called him, of public instruction. And they had just had an agreement with the federal government on some training for veterans. And so they had a state plan that you have to submit in order to get federal dollars. And I think you still have to do that today. But anyway, I certainly didn't have all the answers on this. There was a report that came out of the University of Iowa. It was known as the Gibson Report. That's available. And that dealt with all public education in Iowa. It dealt with the K-12 and junior colleges and this whole regional concept. And so uh, that was kind of a pattern that our committee used. And so we passed this bill out of, I can tell you, there was never a partisan vote, uh, Republicans, Democrats. There were lots of votes. Vern Lyle, who was former Speaker of the House, Republican from Clarinda, Iowa. Of course, he had a junior college in his town. And Dave Stanley was on that education committee, was very good and very positive on education at that time. So we voted out what then was called Centerfile 550, Merged Area School Bill. It allowed for up to, I believe, 20 Merged Area Schools in the state with a minimum population number, a minimum of three counties, and also a minimum amount of assessed value. The original bill called for uh, what them days we called one mill, which was uh, 27 cents a thousand. And we had two levies, one levy for operating 
and one levy for bricks and mortar, similar to the Pebble funds in, in K-12. And so we debated that bill off and on for three days in the Senate. There was lots of different amendments and different versions. Under the original bill, we were putting them under the Department of Public Education, Public Instruction, we call it in them days. There was legislators that had amendments to put them under a standing alone a state bureaucracy. Others had amendments to put them under the Board of Regents, and others had amendments to take arts and science out completely and make them strictly vote tech schools. And there was also amendments, even from organized labor, thinking that this would force their apprentice programs uh, would be uh, too much competition for them. And you can imagine the feeling of many of the private colleges in Iowa. They thought that this would look like an infringement on them as well. We had all that debate. Back then, in the Senate and House, visitors could come in and sit around the outside of the chamber on the same benches that are there today. The ones I sit on now. Yes, that's right. (laughs) And I can recall this visibly. The deans of the 16 junior colleges were here, and the vote tech directors, which were primarily K-12 people, were here. My definition, they didn't get along, and they didn't want to be in the same system. But one thing we did in this bill was, I call, marry the two together. We've been recognized nationally as having one of the best systems as far as administration and not tying the hands of people and that type of thing. And that was probably the biggest thing we did. Where similar states, Minnesota is an example, they passed law within a year of that with two separate systems, a vote tech system and an arts and science system, two local boards, local administration, and then compete in the legislature for the same dollar. We appropriated uh, $15 million, $9 million to be appropriated the first year, $6 million the second year, because we only had sessions every other year. And in the legislation, there was a committee, and they call it advisory committee, that was made up of regents, private four years, private two year, and business and industry, and two people to represent the general public. And the governor, uh, Harold Hughes, asked me to be one of those members to represent the general public. So as it ended up, out of that 15 million, DMAC got a million, Kirkwood got a million, all the rest of them got 750,000. At that time, $15 million was a lot of money in state government. We didn't have a billion dollar state budget until, I believe, uh, 67. So we kind of had a standard map, but it was nothing mandatory about it. We had county boards of education at that time. Oh, really? And county superintendents, because we still had a lot of country schools that uh, went to the eighth grade. In the legislation, county boards of education submitted their plan in that county where they wanted to go to meet so it come together very fast because the public was really hungry for this type of education. Did the junior colleges then sort of go away after that? Or in in over they... a period of two years' time, 
the junior colleges, which were single districts, mm -hmm. they merged right in with the with the merged area school. So, in the end, we ended up with 15 community college districts. You know, one of the most common questions I get is, they're numbered 1 through 15. There's one that didn't materialize. Yeah. What happened to number 8? I think I can get to that. Okay. So we started out with 15. There was four of the merged area schools did not have a junior college in their geographic area. So they started out strictly as Volk Tech schools. And that would be Sheldon, Sioux City, Waterloo, and Kalmar, Northeast Island. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what happened, there was two donut holes. Uh, counties that didn't get in anywhere. One of them was Carroll as the center. The other one was Dubuque. What happened in Dubuque, there was Jackson County, Delaware County, and Dubuque County was a three package that met all the minimum requirements. Delaware County and Dubuque, uh, the two county boards didn't get along. I was at a couple meetings being on this committee to help them do something because of all the private education in Dubuque, mm -hmm. both K-12 and post high school. Delaware County, they were just none of their tax dollars or anything was going to go to Dubuque. So in the meantime, Jackson County Board of Education applied to go to Clinton and that was accepted. The state board had to approve all these merged areas. And so they approved that. So that left only two counties there, which didn't meet the minimum requirement of the law. So in early 70s, I wasn't here. Bob Ray was governor, and uh, the legislature passed a law that all these counties had to be someplace. They passed a separate appropriation, I think, of 200, maybe a quarter million dollars, to build a, a campus at Piosta near Dubuque, in Dubuque County. And they were they would be part of Calmar. So that materialized that way. So that's the reason there's a Pielista's got a campus and Calmar's got a campus. So the other donor hole was Carroll. Mm -hmm. And so over these two or three year period, or probably less than that, many of those counties around Carroll, some opted to go to Council Bluffs, some opted to go to Sioux City. And uh, there may have been one that opted to go with DMAC. So they ended up sitting there with not enough population. And so in this same bill, they had to go somewhere. The DMAC board, which was duly organized, they agreed to take Carroll because the county on this side of Carroll, they wanted to go to Boone. And anyway, so that left Carroll as an island, so they went to DMAC. So that put the whole state in a merged area school district. The first one to get organized was uh, Area 4, which was Sheldon, because those four counties in northwest Iowa, as K-12 schools and the county superintendents, they had a pilot project up there on Tech education for high school students that they were coming into one center. So it met the minimum requirements of the law, and so those counties, they just got ahead of everybody else. And they were strictly a Vogue Tech school until in the 70s, 
when arts and science requirements needed to be in all academic programs, whether you were going to be an auto mechanic or whether you were going to be something else, you needed some kind of uh, computer skills and yeah. language skills. And, uh, and so over time, they all become community colleges. And so that's kind of the history there. So 64 election, 65 session with all these Democrats. Well, in the 66 election, remember we had 101 in the House. The 66 election went back Republican. And so there was just like one over half, 66 or something, Republicans. And so political politics of that session, the Democrats kept control of the Senate because they had half of them was, was holdovers. And Chuck Grassley, who we all know and know what he does today, he kind of led the effort to kind of undo what was done in 65. The big goal was, I mean, property tax was an issue then, just like it is today. And so the House voted to take the operating money, the property tax operating money, out of the bill. And that happened in the House. It left in the bricks and mortar money, pebble money, so to speak, because the people vote on that. They didn't trust the local boards. And so anyway, of course, the Senate, I was still chair of the Education Committee. And in the Senate, of course, we wasn't going to accept that. So it went to Conference Committee and back in 24. And Chuck Grassley was chair of the Conference Committee on part of the House. And I was chair on part of the Senate. And so the compromise we reached was to put the operating money back in at 20 and a quarter cents. And it had been... 27, 27, one mil, and lower the pebble money from one mil down to 20 and a quarter. So we sacrificed some and raised some. And so that's still the law today. It's still mm -hmm. 20 and a quarter cents, yes. as you know. And also in 1967, the state aid that the junior college were getting, they were still educating kids through this process. They were still getting this. I think we raised it to $2 and a quarter a day for these junior colleges. So they were still getting that, but they were getting it after the school year. Right. So in that 67 agreement, we agreed to move that aid to the beginning of the year. Well, they take their head count, mm -hmm. just like we do today in K-12, and they get paid up front. And of course, and you could look this up in the register archives, but the headline was three inches letters that the state bailed out the merged area school system at four and a half million dollars. And all we did was move the aid from back of the year to the front of the year. So that was kind of the start there. The Carroll County questions was similar to Dubuque. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had a public school county board of education with a public school superintendent not nothing like today when it comes to accepting private education. Mm -hmm. So Carroll County being highly Catholic and having the big Catholic schools, that was kind of the same issue as Dubuque. Mm -hmm. But nobody's ever talked about that other than I know that to be a fact because uh, me being on this advisory committee, you were getting all that information. That's a pretty good history. I've learned a lot. Looking at what was intended with the community colleges when they were created and what they're doing today. What are some of the big changes that you've seen? And are they good or bad changes? Oh, I think 
everything has been so positive. Uh, in the original Senate file 550, and there was 10 points in the law that we wrote in then in that law on what these schools, who they need to educate. Open door policy, handicap, anybody come through the door. There's only been two points added to those 10 points in, the, in these 47 years. And the Department of Education, now the Department of Education, I believe, I, was, I wasn't that close to it on this budget year, but last year I know there was only five employees at the Department of Education to administer this community college system. Mm -hmm. There's a few others that are paid with federal money, but most states, Illinois and other states, even surrounding Iowa, they got departments to administer these community college with hundred people and more, <laughs> and so I, I think that's made this system. Uh, you got local boards. I've been asked recently from the press in this whole education discussion, why shouldn't we just have one umbrella board for all post high school education and put them under the regents and. I think that'd be a very sad mistake because uh, local boards, there's no two community colleges that offer the same programs. And they all got English 101 or they all might have nursing or they all, but they all got a unique programs. And the thing about it, every program that's offered at a community college has got an advisory committee besides their local board and their local some. It's people in the community that have been dis had their meetings and and uh, and talked about when these kids get this one-year program or this two-year program, is there jobs for them and, and do we need this program? So that's, that's huge, and you wouldn't get that at a state bureaucracy. You'd lose that local. So, so to me, that's so important. Another thing, our community colleges. Uh, and I tell them every time I get a chance, what's made them so successful, in my opinion, with the state legislature, is they come with the same legislative agenda. Whether they're a small four-county rural district or whether they're a DMAC or a Kirkwood, some states have gone through this where it's rural versus urban. And so they're competing against one another for the same legislative dollar. That's been a, a very positive thing for the community college system. We do a, a general aid appropriation, and then there's a formula and code. And there's for a how formula, it's allocated. And, uh, and it's uh, sure there's always things. So they have problem hiring people in these shortage areas. Mm -hmm. I'll use wind energy. The one in Esterville is a big example of that. Students coming out of that program start out with very good wage. I think they have 75 now in freshmen, but they could have way over 100, but they can't find an instructor. Uh, they got to go into business and industry to find an instructor that knows all that stuff. And under their limitations as far as budget and all that stuff, why they can't, at least they say they can't, I don't know that I agree, but that they can't say pay somebody a lot more than somebody else. So that's a problem. They got the same problem with, uh, with nursing because they got to have a master's degree nursing teacher and many of those same nurses can work in an emergency room for on a weekend 
and make more money than they can teaching at a community college. So it's kind of personally what they really want to do. They got that same problem in a lot of these high tech areas. So it's just been, uh, I think, with locals and the way the system is set up that we'd never be able to pass it a law that gives that much local control with so few regulation today. Because I think all the players would want exceptions, whether on athletics, on housing, on... Because they were kind of set up and sold to have a school within a commuting area of everybody in Iowa. Right. So you didn't have to live on campus. You know? I was going to ask you what you think of a lot of the colleges now have residence halls, they have athletics programs. and There's some at that time that voted for this bill and some that voted against it. It's very much opposed to any athletics yeah. and any housing of any kind. And that's uh, 47 years ago and yeah. some of the same issues that's around today. But uh, They've also improved their transition with the four-year university. The articulation agreements are getting better every year. One of my reasons that that has happened is that many of the professors at the four-year schools have gone into retirement and, and they were rigid. You're either going to come to my class, I want to look at you, you know. And with the new faculty and online and all this stuff, about uh, that's helped that tremendously. But uh, and as far as transferring credits, that was always uh, an issue. I served on uh, Iowa Lakes board for 17 years when I was out of the legislature between the 60s and uh, coming back in 88. I was out 20 years. Uh, now I served on that board for 17 of those 20 and president of that board for 10 of those 17. But anyway, I'd get complaints about little Susie's credits didn't transfer to you and I, or Pitt, or William Penn, or uh, Waldorf was up close to us at Forest City at that time. And so I took that serious and I checked into it. Well, I think every time it was little Susie didn't attend enough classes, or, or uh, didn't have a passing grade, or, you know, it wasn't because of the community college grades, they wasn't credits, they wasn't accepted. There was some, in 90% of the cases, and that's gotten much better. Well, I have a grandson that's taken two years of uh, ag transfer at Iowa Lakes, and is going to Iowa State, he's moving down there today, as a matter of fact, in ag transfer to be a junior and senior. And Iowa Lakes used the same books and the same curriculum that they did at Ames for two years. So that's going on in a lot of the other programs as well. We have a lot of higher education in this state with the privates and the for-profits. You probably know the numbers better than I, but for the last few years we've been graduating about 5,000 less seniors than the year before. And uh, of course they're all competing for post-high school education. Of course, the non-traditional student is the big numbers in the community college. And I attend a lot of graduations this year because I'm leaving, I was invited and all that. But anyway, uh, you know, the average age is if they got 100 graduates or if they got 300 graduates, uh, the average age is uh, about 30 years old. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, a lot of four-year people that went back to get some skill. But they still have a serious struggle with operating money uh, to hold tuition down, you know, because as you know, there's three, mainly three sources of money. And one is the 20 and a quarter cents operating money. And the other is whatever general aid the legislature agrees on and tuition. And the only flexible part that the board has is tuition. That's a problem. But they spread a dollar a long ways. And of course, most people look at the campuses, uh, like we do a lot of other institutions, and, and we think that my, they must have a lot of money because all these nice buildings. Community colleges, uh, and I imagine about half of them now have passed bond issues. I don't know the exact number, but uh, Iowa Lakes has never went to a bond issue. They have their three twenty and a quarter cents that you that people vote in up to ten years, and of course they can borrow against that to build buildings, similar to the Pebble money. Dmac is a it's a university, my <laughs> and Kirkwood, uh, but all of them are unique as far as having something that others don't have. Like uh, Gene Frazee, a member of the Senate, he's not running like I am, not again. But he had three grandsons go to Sheldon, and he's in Fort Madison yeah. for electrical, different programs in electrical. So that's happening all over the state. What would you hope for for the community colleges in the coming years? What would you like to see happen for them? Well, number one, the local levy has got to be increased. Twenty and a quarter, it needs to be doubled. Some way, even if they have to have a public vote on it to allow it to move forward, of course, property tax. I've tried every way possible to make that happen, but not the support to do that. Not that they don't agree that they need some more money, it's just the property tax. And, and then they bring all these other property tax issues in there. And this year, I was very supportive of us doing something with commercial property tax. Because once I thought that we get that done, and I talked to the speaker about that, and he more or less agreed that if we could get something on commercial property tax, that he would get help to get the local levy increase for community colleges. So I hope that's still a, something in the background that will happen. The other thing I want to happen is the strictly one legislative agenda. I think that's very important for them to stay stable. To work together. Work together. So you were going to tell me what happened to college number eight. College number eight, well, it's either Dubuque or Carroll. Oh, okay. They just didn't materialize. They didn't materialize, okay. I think even at one time, and maybe in the final draft of Senate File 550, it might have been reduced from 20 down to 17 because we had this map. But even in northwest Iowa, including my home area, we envisioned... Area 4 and Area 3, what 3 is Iowa Lakes, mm -hmm. that being one district. Oh, okay. But it, Sheldon got in on early and had proper. So that number 16, they identified themselves as 16 when there was still this island. So <laughs> there was nothing in the law or anything, it just yeah. happened. It just way. happened. Okay. And, and I believe 16 is. Uh, 
Burlington and then Southeastern. Well, Senator, it's hard for some of us to imagine the Senate without you. Well, what are your plans for next winter when you don't have to be here? It's time. I just had my 83rd birthday, so I don't plan on disappearing. Well, that's good. I don't know that I'll try to get involved, but it's going to be hard to stay, not think about this stuff. And of course, between Kay and I, we have 11 growing children, and most of them are reasonably close. And I'm still involved with the farm some, and more financially than been given direction. But no, there's always a lot to do, and. But that three-hour drive in the winter time, in the fog and ice and snow, and, and I think over the 32 years, I've missed going home on a weekend less than five times. That's pretty good. And there's part-time civilian legislature is getting to be more full-time than, it, than its definition is, which I don't criticize. I mean, constituent work is a lot. Of, if you want to do it, if, if you want to stay in this place and you want to be uh, have proper input, why you need to do constituent work. More of that is in the Department of Human Services in, in these small rural towns. I have 49 incorporated towns in my Senate district. Wow. And in five and a half counties. And so uh, my district is 70 miles across and about 100 miles north and south. So I'm halfway to Des Moines before I'm out of my district. <laughs> but, uh, but the 16 junior colleges at that time had 9,000 students in them, basically all arts and science. And so today, what have we got? Over 109,000 in full credit students. So there isn't any other way to put it other than being very successful. And you had something to do with that. Thank you for the interviews. Okay, well, I'm probably leaving out some parts of this, but uh, it's just been a, such a success. Well, I appreciate your time, Senator, and I want yeah. to wish you well. Oh, yeah. That's... We'll be thinking of you. Okay, well, yeah, well, you can't do something for 32 years and not miss it, you know. <laughs>